a lot of this this medicines that put us to sleep, anesthetics hit GABA. That's not what happens, and and we don't see any GABA activity with um, CBG, or not at least not significantly. So that suggests you know we could probably use it to to induce a, a large state of tranquility or not at larger doses. Of course, this hasn't been well studied, um, but but I think it's a really interesting concept because we see that even with potent alpha stimulation, we don't have a lot of these um, really serious negative side effects. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged, obliged alone, because it is only through Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. And special thanks to the many individuals, companies, and organizations that have helped Curious About Cannabis meet our mission of becoming the number one trusted source of cannabis science education on the planet. This includes organizations like Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Conigma, Treadwell Farms, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, CBD National, Magnolia Botanicals, and more. Visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn about our sponsors and go show them some love for helping us spread cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. Life mysterious and ephemeral. Breathtaking, yet fierce and unyielding. Grounding, yet transcendent. It's a curious thing. Let's explore it together. Isn't life curious? Available at isn'tlifecurious.com or wherever you experience podcasts. And now, back to the show. Hey everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Today, after so many failed attempts and hurdles and obstacles that we have overcome, I'm here with Dr. Cody Peterson, we have tried like three or four times to make this happen. Um, thanks for sticking with it. Um, even this this afternoon has been interesting, but we made it. We're here. You know, with with uh, you know our background uh, in in doing this sort of thing, and you know, just both of us, you kind of engaging with technology like this. I did not foresee this type of <laughs> these type of issues, but hey, we. Made I it. always say that like 
in, for some reason, important conversations, the universe often tries to sabotage me when I get ready to have them. Um, it ha it's happened with so many different conversations um, through the podcast where just unexplicable issues come up. I mean, I did a live stream just uh, two days ago. No problems. Like, why? <laughs> right. A live stream, which, you know, opens you up to a whole world of mess more of, of issues. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Reason. Yeah. 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 Even more technical. Yeah. This is this is routine. Shouldn't be a problem. But I'm glad we made it. Um, and it's been a while since we've been able to catch up, especially on the podcast, but um, even personally. So thanks for taking the time. And um, let's dive in. What's um, What's been catching your ear these days in the world of cannabis science? Oh, well, catching my ear, uh, there's there's all sorts of fun stuff, I think, coming out. I think there's some interesting stuff around synthetic cannabinoids showing benefit. Um, Zalira Pharmaceuticals out of Australia just showed that one of their molecules performed better than Lyrica for nerve pain. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff looking at cannabinoids, synthetic cannabinoids or natural phytocannabinoids uh, fighting, fighting cancer cells. It just continues to, to show that there's a lot of benefit and that there's a little more complexity there. Um, but really like what's I'm passionate about and what I'm finishing up. In fact, uh, my students took their final yesterday is I'm now teaching at the University of California, Irvine, their cannabis pharmacology class for pharmacists. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. I, I did my first one. We did the curriculum. We've done everything. I just got a couple of papers to grade and uh, I'm feeling accomplished and thankful for, for my partner, Jill Simonian, uh, another pharmacist who's helping do this class with me. And I wouldn't have this opportunity without her. That's super cool. What uh, what kind of stuff were you diving into in the class? You said it's targeted towards pharmacists, so um, just tons of uh, really interesting pharmacology and, and getting able to get into the nitty-gritty there? No, I mean, I would say that what we tried to do is present them with the to at the topic from every angle. Of course, we're talking to specifically mm. to pharmacists. This is the pharmacy class of 2025. It's a, it's a pharmacy school. Um, so we're only speaking to pharmacists, although we're, we're pushing for, excuse me, more MD integration and, and even nursing, I, would, I think sure, we could yeah. be benefit from uh, our program, PA, you know, stuff like that. Now, uh, I think what we tried to bring to the table was a bunch of experts with differing opinions. Um, so we obviously mm -hmm. presented the standard information. This is how THC works. We did a cannabis history, right? But I think really tuning into the pharmacist role, we did a panel on the, you know, legal with three different lawyers with differing sort of perspectives nice. on the space. We had um, Dr. Peter Kogan come in, who's a, who's a mm -hmm. critic, think him like the anti-Russo. Uh, and yeah. he comes into the class, he works in, in, in Colorado, but he comes out to California to lecture um, now two lectures, uh, both at UCSD and at UCI, the same the same topic, uh, which is what do we really know about the entourage and and all these yeah, yes. CBD benefits? Like, what are we really looking at here? And could there be explanations for a lot of this ambiguity or complexity that we found? Um, and he makes some really strong arguments, and it's it's nice. He's he's not a lot of people pushing back with science and cannabis. It's usually yeah, like yeah. they push back with emotion or with like propaganda. But, you know, Peter Kogan is diving in and really saying, no, no, Ethan, if you, if you, here's the explanation for what you've seen or, or here's what it is. So check him out, Dr. Um, he actually writes under P.S. Kogan. Um, and he mm -hmm. has a, an article, I think it's called 
was one of his first ones, um, the entourage effect in the hodgepodge pagash of CBD market yes, marketing. I remember and, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Peter's yeah. cool. Um, but we brought in Kyle Boyar. He spoke at our class about yeah, lab nice. and analytics. Um, we've all sorts of individuals. And we try to challenge them to engage in real world situations, not unlike what, what you've done in your class. So like we did a CBD project where we gave them multiple products. They go to the website, evaluate it. We talk about you know what it means when it says a thousand milligrams on a CBD bottle with with 45 mLs in it. And how do you do the math? Why does it say a hundred yes. or a thousand? Yeah. Why does it say a thousand milligrams anyway? You and I know, cause they use right. a thousand milligrams of distillate or, or concentrate or whatever, but it's a <laughs> stupid way to list anything. It's, yep. it would be completely yep. inaccurate in the pharmaceutical world. So, well, it's like, it's like writing a, a number without a unit, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you get scolded for that so often. And even in just in, um, when you're learning math, growing up, basic algebra, you gotta, you gotta indicate your units. You gotta tell people what you're actually describing. You can't just have numbers. Totally, um, because but what that happens is very common. What happens if you don't get scolded and then you don't use units as an adult later? Something gets misconstrued because you always yeah. need a unit, and if you don't need a unit or if you don't list the unit, you're probably gonna need it later and screw up your math <laughs> right. in the equation. Like it just ends up being a problem. Just write the unit. <laughs> Yeah, just write THC or distillate or whatever it is. Just uh -huh. tell us what it is. Right, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If they said a thousand milligrams concentrate added, you know, because what this means mm -hmm. is they, and you know this, I don't know, who am I talking? <laughs> they concentrate the this yeah. cannabis product, right? They're, they're taking yeah. the cannabis, they're extracting it, using that concentrate to re-dilute in oil. You know, they're just adding yeah. oil to this concentrated cannabinoid, doing the math. Um, but it doesn't come out pretty, right? Like right. ideally you'd be using a pharmaceutical level of accuracy and producing something that's 25 milligrams per mil of yes. X, Y, or Z, but that becomes really complicated. You can't market your stuff as full spectrum anymore. And like, because you're adding mm -hmm. and tinkering with the natural levels because plants aren't pharmaceuticals. They don't come in yeah. this perfect box. Yeah, no, it's a, a great point that like, if you want to standardize a natural product, you inherently have to add things, um, dilute things, whatever, in order to keep it at its desired range. And so if you're wanting to more or less use raw plant extracts without any sort of manipulation at all, yeah, it gets very, very challenging. Yeah, um, from batch to batch, particularly, right? You can exactly, you yeah. can come up mm -hmm. with a standard if you get a consistent extraction and you did it at scale. But the next time it comes around, what are you going to redo all your packaging? It becomes challenging. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, that's fascinating, and I I love that in your class you're you know approaching these different perspectives. It's it's huge to, um, I think, provide those contrasting perspectives and, and ideas. It's something, um, it's one reason why it's always fun getting me and Dr. Schwabi together to talk about strains, because we, you know, have sort of famously publicly argued about that. And it's, I think it's really good for people to hear different scientists with different perspectives on the same topic so that they understand that um, there are different ways to interpret this data to think about it and we do have to be uh thoughtful in sort of the stories we tell ourselves about the information that we're taking in because i think a lot of times we tend to 
just adopt whatever narrative someone's feeding us rather than kind of stopping and say, well, like, you know, like you're saying, well, what, what do we actually know? Like what data do we actually have? And how much of this are we filling in with things that we want to be true or hope to be true or think, honestly think that are true, but actually don't have any um, evidence yet to believe they're true. And, you know, the entourage effect is a big one. Um, Huge. It's, it's a great example. <laughs> like, you know, I have students that ask me all the time. Um, they'll come into the master class and think that they're going to learn which how the entourage X. effect works. And yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's I, one thing I always point out is um, DeMartz's quote from our episode together. He's like, it'll take at least two or three lifetimes, you know, to start to really understand the pharmacology of cannabis as a complex, you know, polypharmaceutical that is, you know, just all of these different compounds, how are they affecting things? You're like, there's just no way we're going to begin to address that level of complexity in the next 50 years, um, probably not in the next 100 years, maybe. Certainly with AI machine learning, it'll help. That's it'll exactly help us, right. You know, yep. get Aggregate. To the, but we need the good data to feed into <laughs> the uh, this system. Otherwise, it's going to make stuff up. <laughs> That's exactly the problem. So this is, okay, one, have you played with ChatGPT and asked it questions about cannabis? We got to talk about that. Extensively. How bad have you seen the hallucination problem? Um, because I've seen it make up all kinds of stuff that um, when you when you press it for details, um, that has been kind of hilarious. Yeah, and and so uh, yeah, we've we've you tried it to see if it could write articles, right? Because we uh, mm -hmm. at the Enigma have been have been uh, playing with this technology, and and uh, just the other day I got the the draft back uh, after we put together a brief, and, and we're just like, what was it going to do? And I read the article. It was, it was, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this is sound, right? I, I skimmed it. Um, yeah. It was cited and everything by, by mostly or partially at least the bot. And then uh, I went and checked the references, and they were made up. They, it made, it, it, it <laughs> yes. literally made, yes. it made them up. They don't exist, at least not by those authors by that name in that year. They're not right. a thing. And so like, yeah, it's, it's hallucinating. This, this robot is, is telling me what I want to hear based on what yes. I asked it, but it doesn't actually know how to tell me where it found that information. And it often will misquote, miscite, or yeah. not be able to give you actually, you know, give you a, a yeah. solid connection between those two things. It'll just, sorry. It's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm an AI model. I can't do that. <laughs> That's the response sorry, a lot of times it gets when I push That's... it too hard. It's like, wait, yeah. wait, give me, quit. Give me. I was asking it for um, different sort of um, like pharmacokinetic um, information and stuff like that about different molecules to see, you know, what it could do. Um, it, just all sorts of different things. And of course, I threw different questions about strains and indica sativa, all this stuff. And um, yeah, it's, it's a little scary because all of the answers sound nice. And upon like a first glance, it's like, oh yeah, yes, that's, that's exactly. what my brain wanted to hear. And if you're and, not an expert. Uh, yeah, you have no idea. And, and some of these details are very small sometimes, you know, easy, very easy, easy to glance mm -hmm. over. And so, um, you know, I shudder to think about the content mills um that are it, it's about to get um real crazy like the need for folks like Kenigma curious about cannabis like 
um, it, that need is increasing substantially because um, already there's just tons, even on LinkedIn, I'm sure you've noticed, like I've gotten to the point now where I can start to tell if someone's using chat GPT You're to write totally, their LinkedIn posts. Absolutely. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's just an interesting new world we're in. And I, I don't recommend using chat GPT for any sort of knowledge retrieval or, um, anything like that. I did make a chat bot that's trained on the curious about cannabis. Book, I haven't checked it out yet. It's, it's pretty neat. You know, it's a work in progress. It's something that's going to take me a couple of years to really do right. But, um, as it stands, it works pretty decent. Um, it can ignore all the bullshit that is inaccurate and just focus on just what is in the book and nothing else. And there are mm, limitations I and see. problems obviously with that, but it does fix a lot of the hallucination problems. And because so many questions are addressed in the book, it's generally able to find good content, put it together, and it's a whole lot more accurate. But what I'm trying to do now, it's like it's trained to the book, but now I have to go in and like I've already created a list of like 4,000 questions and personalized answers that I'm feeding it so it can better understand how to share the information, but I need to like 10 or hundred X that I need to go through like 40,000 or 400,000 questions in order so for it to really work. So you're going to need AI to write the questions and answer the questions yeah, that you're going to feed to the AI. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's how you do it. Yeah. It has to be because <laughs> the numbers you're talking about yeah. are not feasible for you. Exactly. For no, you, you have to automate the process one way or another to some degree. Um, and so what you do is you kind of come up with the core list of questions that you want to address and then you use AI to spin off these subtle variations of those questions um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's a, wow. it's a process, but I, I really wanted to talk about that because I, I hadn't talked about chat GBT much on the podcast and I just know, I'm sure there's people, I already know people are running out there using it for things like ChatGPT doesn't know anything, you know, like it it's all, it, all it knows to do is to present language to you in a way that sounds good. Um, but it's a great the, reasoning tool. Yeah. Look, there's so much that we can use. I wanted to give an example before we leave this subject of ChatGPT and really yeah, get yeah. to the briefly the, the topic we were looking for. I know Jason has a, an important meeting after this. Um, so we'll get to it, what yeah. I wanted to, yeah, we'll get there. Um, we fed ChatGPT the question around why does cannabis smell skunky, right? So what we do at the beginning oh. is, is we go and we look for, you know, potentially things that people are trying to answer and we go to answer them. Right. So as an experiment, again, we, we fed it the question, we fed it a little bit of a brief. This is, this is kind of what we'd like to talk about, but we didn't give it the answers, right? Mm -hmm. And it wrote me an article that to the unaware person, which makes about 95%, maybe 99% yeah. of people on the science of why cannabis smells skunky, uh, to, to be misled. And it, it, it cited terpenes and BCP mm -hmm. combined with limonene as the source of oh, the skunky smell. Oh, interesting. And it, it just wow. made shit up. Right. And I, I tore the article up, and, um, you know, to the editor. I was like, no, this is trash. Like, don't even get this, get me started on how many ways this thing is wrong. Of course, if you looked at the article without a keen eye or without an mm -hmm. understanding, you wouldn't know that this robot lied, miscited and, and just put this stuff there. And this is going to make it into the public domain and Google yeah. and other search engines will yes. still choose what gets to the top based on, keywords and, and SEO yeah. rankings. Um, and we can still have this problem. 
Yep. We have, or it yep. could worsen misinformation. And I do think, as you mentioned, this brings in the need for an expert like the Kenigma, which which Jason is one of our experts on the Kenigma, mm -hmm. is wait a second, we need someone who's trained to review this content. Sure, a robot can puke out a bunch of words much faster than a human can type them. But what what do we need to do? What level of effort is needed there to make sure it's correct? And I think we're going to find yeah. that humans are still needed, particularly yes. the, the highly skilled, you know, in, in subtopics, um, you yeah. know, like, like you and I in our respective areas. I totally, totally agree. And and something I asked ChatGPT in uh, some of the early days when it first came out, I was, you know, uh, asking it, like, what are going to be the implications when you're able to connect to the internet and blah, 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 all these things. And um, it gave an interesting response. And it said that um, there would be a phase of um, kind of what we're going through now, a flood of really, really bad content, really low quality content and lots of it just flooding the internet faster than it ever has. However, it's it did say that um, the likely outcome would be that, and, and Bing you know, has kind of been modeling this because they integrated GPT into their search engine and all search engines are integrating um, these um, language processing models into them, Many, um, yeah. that eventually the language models will get um, much better at detecting the bullshit and then will only recognize high quality content and search engine optimization will change to favor that high quality content because the AI will be able to suss out, um, you know, basically be able to assign reliability scores to all the information that it's encountering. Um, and the, the theory is that we're about a, maybe even just a year and a half or so away from that. Um, okay, so that's fast. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's fast. Um, and part of it is because as these AI tools are made, the tools themselves are used to make more tools. And so there's this, you know, right now we're going through an app phase where all of these GPT apps are being built to integrate with ChatGPT and OpenAI and everything. Um, and then from there, we're going to see more full, uh, full-scale AI integrations into most software that we that we see. Microsoft's working on their Copilot. Um, it's coming out any day. Um, so Google's got you know, theirs, we, cooking, right? Yeah, Google's got theirs. Um, and they're Google and Microsoft are really racing there. Um, mm. so yeah, the, the hope is that there's a place for the good content, the people that actually have the expertise and knowledge, and that we're not too far from those people receiving the spotlight over all of the bullshit artists that have been around all along, you know, that mm -hmm. have been really bullshit. good budgets for SEO and, yeah. and are ranking number one on Google, but, you know, don't deserve to be. I think we're not too far out from um, getting past that problem, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. Hmm. That's a really interesting input. And I appreciate that. And, you know, this, this has major implications on, and you know, the, at the Kenigma and what we do, which is try to answer mm -hmm. people's questions on Google. So if Google's algorithm or, is being augmented by its machine learning being, you know, trying mm -hmm. to discern then, then I think, you know, you have to think about that, not just as the Kenigma, but as anyone who's mm -hmm. creating content, like, exactly. Do I want a bunch of copycat, you know, cookie cutter, 
articles or am I looking for something really unique? Does it bring value yeah. to yes. that, to that um, maybe not a good question for Google because you'll never outrank the, the NIH for what is weed, but, but, you know, like maybe <laughs> yeah. that's, if you write a really good article, then that brings, you know, more weight to that. So that's really interesting that you mentioned. Yeah. And I think it's, it's becoming easier and easier for content creators to make what they think. Um, and as these newer tools get built, I think it'll be easier for content creators that have knowledge, but lack technical, like uh, IT skills. I think it'll become just easier and easier and easier for those bridges to be totally, you know, crossed and, um, and then people will be able to make really engaging, compelling video content, audio content and things like that with minimal effort. Um, so we'll get there. I'm crossing um, my fingers for that, Jason, because like, unlike <clears throat> you, who you're like, you're super adaptable, man. I can see you, you can learn a new, if you put your mind to it, you can really grab any technology and, and understand it and employ it. I'm not really that way. I'm pretty good with Photoshop. I learned that as a young man, but like, I don't even like to get into like my computer beyond that on the computer side. Like I can navigate my yeah. way through my computer and beyond that. I don't want to, it, it doesn't in like, even my wife takes care of the internet. I'm like, honey, help me. <laughs> The IP address, <laughs> uh, what do I do? Like, yeah. <laughs> just make the internets work. I just need the internets to do <laughs> just my get job. get the internet, just plug back in. What's going on? Just plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Wi-Fi. I don't understand. They don't, they yeah. still plug in, right? They do. You can get a plug in. I can go plug it into the back of my, my. Uh, but a lot of the, yeah. the computers no longer have the, the port. I know. Yeah, they're losing everything pretty much. One of my buddies just got a car um, that has a CD player in it. And I was like, what? This is incredible. You can play CDs. <laughs> okay. Well, my car still has a CD player in it. I drive a 2008 Jeep Grand Cherokee. So it's the got a three CD. Have, will not have one. It's got a Oh, you've got... You, I, I'm pretty nice. sure. I don't think I've ever oh, used nice. one. <laughs> so you're living like a rock star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have remember... <laughs> I remember when they had them in the trunk and there'd be like a 12 disc changer and, it, you know, it was this whole big uh, thing. You sacrifice your trunk for your entertainment system in your a car. Absolutely. Uh, but keep going <laughs> and think about the cassettes when everything was on tapes, whether yep. it was a video mm -hmm. or your your music. And the, the it would get tangled. You had to like crank it to oh, wind yeah. up the gears. I know a lot uh -huh. of our listeners know this, but the younger ones have no idea what we're talking about. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. And then beyond that, which I only interacted with this because of my my parents' technology, but getting into eight tracks and um, you know all of that too. It's mm -hmm. yeah. It's, and, and then of course the really record player to... has stood the test. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. But. Um, Moving into uh, what we wanted to talk about today, um, which this has all been super fascinating, but we were going to talk about CBG. <clears throat> so we were talking about, um, before doing this episode, some of the kind of trends in the market. Of course, we've talked at length about synthetic cannabinoids and stuff, both um, in classes and on LinkedIn and stuff like that. Um, and then we were also talking about CBG. A lot of people have a lot of questions about CBG products, how they compare to CBD, um, any issues with drug interactions, all that sort of thing. So in um, some of the time, and we'll go a little long, I'm not worried too much. We'll if I have to push my meeting just a few minutes. We'll be all right. Okay. Cool. Um, but um, I wanted to make sure to get into that because I, 
I don't know that I've ever talked about CBG much on the podcast, a little bit here and there, side references and stuff. But let's take a little bit of time um, diving in a bit. Um, from your perspective, when someone asks you about CBG and they've, you know, maybe they've heard about CBD, but they're trying to understand, you know, these new cannab new to the market cannabinoids. Um, what's your response? How do you how do you describe CBG to people? It's a great question because that's what people are going to say. They heard, they saw it in the dispensary. Yeah. They heard it on your podcast. Just word. What is CBG, right? So that's the question, and we've answered this question on the Kenigma. But but to put it straightforward, this is another cannabinoid, and uh, <clears throat> it's not that different than THC and CBD, and it's technically a precursor to them. But the story actually starts before that, right? If we're really going to educate the listener, we need to talk about how the plant makes CBGA. And CBGA yep. is technically what should be described as the mother cannabinoid, because this is the molecule that's then converted by the plant in the trichome into THCA or CBDA or some of these other less common cannabinoids. Uh, but, but it all starts with CBGA. And then we can decarboxylate CBGA, just like we do THCA yep. to THC in the oven before we make our brownies. We can take and make CBG, sort of the active or the neutral form uh, of CBG. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about another cannabinoid that's actually a precursor molecule to THC and CBD as you know it. Now, I think the other thing that the pharmacist inside of me feels compelled to say is this is structurally different than THC. So it's not yeah. going to produce the high, um, or at least, at least not in the traditional sense. Certainly it is psychoactive. It does things in the mm -hmm. body and brain. However, it's not going to induce the THC high because structurally it's not like THC, which is very rigid and fits tightly into the, the pocket of the CB1 receptor, densely located in certain parts of our brains. And that's what causes the high and some of the pain relieving effects and yada, yada. CBG is not this rigid structure. In fact, THC is made out of three rings, CBD's mm -hmm. two rings connected by one little bond. And then CBG is actually just one ring with some stuff pointing out each side. And so with that single ring molecule, yeah, yeah, it can, it can go into all sorts of different positions, but it is definitely, um, you know, it looks a lot like anandamide in some respects. It yeah, has this, yeah. this squirrely long, um, almost 10 carbon chain hanging off one side of it. And if you think about the molecule of anandamide, um, it with this, this, uh, six or seven, uh, oh, wait, actually, so it's got six unsaturated and then a double bond. So somewhere mm -hmm. it's got a chain that's very similar to that of CBG. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. No, it really does. It's, it's, it is the most similar in terms of just looking at the, the general shape of the molecule and structure. You know, we often talk about THC being similar to anandamide, but really CBG is, is uh, much closer when we think of it that way. If, yeah, and you can see it easier on on paper certainly than than yeah. what you're, I'm going to be able to do with my hands. But uh, it makes sense that this molecule can then interact with some of the same degradatory enzymes that anandamide is engaging with, so like fatty acid amide hydrolase. It can also have activity at some of these TRPs. So these are um, ion channels in the body that that anandamide is active at. But also we've seen CBG is quite quite uh, promiscuous yep. among. Um, and so we see this 
precursor cannabinoid that previously was not in circulation, right? CBG is new, mm -hmm. as you said, not biochemically. Biochemically, it's older than THC or CBD. Yeah. Uh, you know, that means that it goes back potentially, you know, 30 million years or older. Um, yeah. But this molecule is is really interesting, and it's got a lot of pharmacologic uniqueness to it that we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, you asked me at the beginning of the show, Jason, what, what's got me interested? Mm -hmm. Well, that same molecule we're talking about, CBGA, made in the, the plant's trichome as the precursor to THCA, that was just recently found in, uh, in a wildflower in 4.2% mm -hmm. yeah. in the leaves, 4.2%, which is higher than it's ever found in a, in a traditional cannabis plant. So yeah. all of a sudden, this cannabinoid, this precursor, this what we thought of was the mother of all cannabinoids, actually that plant over there is making it too. And all of a sudden- And, this, and through a different, a different um, biosynthetic pathway. Yeah, it doesn't have the same, the same olivetol GPP combination, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's super interesting yeah. too. But what this shows is this molecule is, has utility for the plant. The plant yeah. has a good reason to produce this. It has actions. And if we then look to humans, if we look to other emerging science that's coming out about CBG, just last week, this was published. They're taking, and this is in early stages, so it's still in, in vitro or in, in lab studies, mm -hmm. um, but they're taking a prosthetic and coating it like, a, like you might do a joint or like a, like a piece of uh, material you might put inside of someone for healing. And mm -hmm. they coated it, they infused it with CBG, and it had this uh, antibacterial effect because it turns out yeah, CBG yeah. is able to penetrate something called biofilms. And these are actually quite yes. challenging um, coatings that certain bacteria make. And biofilms, we need to make sure we have special medicine that can either penetrate it or attack it. And it just so turns out that the plant produces molecules or of many plants that have this, this inherent activity. And now, now medical people are all excited for this new chemical technology that might be safe for humans and this antimicrobial antiviral. And one of the, one of the studies that was looking at the biofilms, one of the things that was really exciting to see is that it could break through these biofilms without necessarily um, detrimentally disturbing the native microflora um, or the one I was looking at, it's like on the skin or yep. on epithelial tissue. I saw this too. Yep. Um, but um, that's, yeah, very exciting that it can, you know, this sort of targeted, like mess with the bad stuff we don't want and keep the good stuff, you know, untouched and doing its thing. Uh, very simplified way of thinking about it. But it's, it's always exciting to see that kind of activity. And like you said, it stirs a lot of ideas like, whoa, okay, there might be a lot of applications here. Um, and the, the antimicrobial activity of CBG, it's worth noting, it is, it is um, superior to CBD or THC. Or, um, as far as I know, most um, studied phytocannabinoids. Um, I think it is, yeah. The top the, of the list. The most. That and, um, I think CBC was there with it too. Um, so it's, yeah, really interesting just on that level. Um, and I mean, I, I think I might have interrupted a thought process there, but I got excited. Um, continue. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I just think that just moving off of that, we do see this this activity of cannabinoids generally. It is CBG is the most potent, and many of these cannabinoid acids seem to have some bactericidal or uh, antibacterial effect. We also see uh, antiviral effects, right? So one of the big the big yeah. things about CBG or CBGA um, over the last two years or whatever was this this study that came out of the University of Oregon that showed there was antiviral activity. When they went and looked at the chemical structure of CBG and CBGA, they said, oh, this might actually interact with this spike protein on the COVID uh, virus. And, and it did. Now, what does that mean clinically? We, we don't really know. This, is, this was a test tube study looking at the attraction yeah. of a molecule to a virus, not this oh it helped this person but it's an interesting activity right. how can we use it and what sort of applications can we use cannabinoids which once again we know are relatively non-toxic uh to humans and you know have all these widespread applications how can we leverage this molecule pharmacologically to the betterment of humans regardless of whether it's even coming from cannabis yes. now now that we've learned yeah. that it's a it's just about wow the the plant produces this it has activity how can we use it? And humans have been after that task. In fact, there's many scientists that are making uh, quinones of CBG yeah. and testing them. Yeah. Why? Because you can patent a quinone of CBG or CBGA or a methyl ester of a cannabinoid acid mm -hmm. like Dr. Mishulam. Because this is what scientists do. If they want to secure money for their lab, they need to make <laughs> yeah. discoveries that can be patented and sold. It's just the way that the scientific community works. And so well, we're seeing... The Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just because you you mentioned Mishulam's methyl ester thing. I, um, one thing that's that's fascinating about that is in the terms of CBGA, focusing on the the actual, you know, quote unquote mother cannabinoid. Um, if you want to deliver that to certain parts of the body, um, one thing you do is decorate it um, or make a like a methyl ester version or something that will. Um, withstand some of the the body's natural degradation of that compound so that ultimately it becomes a pro-drug and then makes that uh, the target drug cbga or cbda um, or whatever um, available at the site that it's supposed to be at um, rather than um, getting decarboxylated in the body you know or that sort of thing so i just wanted to throw that out there's fascinating and thinking about mishulam's recent passing i've been thinking about that work yeah, he, it was. It's a really smart approach. How do we get this molecule to the site of action more more actively? And this is a this is a long standing yeah. concept going all the way back to the advent of heroin. 140 years ago, yes. 130 years ago, yeah, when we yeah. acetylated morphine, all of a sudden it was able to cross through the body, into the body better and, and produce even, or into the brain rather, and produce even more potent effects. It's deacetylated inside the body, making it right there available at the, uh, at the receptor. <clears throat> now we've done this again in the synthetic cannabinoid yeah. realm, right? So THCO acetate or THCO is this acetylated THC. It's the same exact process they did to morphine to make heroin. They just applied it to THC. And these products are, are you know, being sold legally, even though they're, they're clearly not yeah. phytocannabinoids. This is, a, this is a synthetic cannabinoid, but uh, thus regulation, Him which we're gonna leave dude. off the table.
We're talking hemp derived. Hemp derived, man. I made this at a site with a registered hemp farm location. <laughs> yeah. Hemp derived means I have a hemp license and I made it. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm selling it to you. Yeah. Totally hemp derived. Yeah, I don't know what's in it. Uh, no, no lab can test for this. <laughs> um, let's leave that off the table. Go back to CBG. Yeah. Really cool pharmacology. So remember, THC, rigid, three rings, very, very tight structure, interacts strongly with the CB1, particularly CB1, but CB1 and CB2 receptors. When we look at CBD, really floppy structure, doesn't really do a whole lot at those CB1 and CB2 receptors, does a lot of other stuff and a lot of other places. And then if we look at CBG, we have this, again, a little more tuned to the endocannabinoid system, but it doesn't have a strong affinity for CB1 and CB2 receptors. Uh, some activity, yeah. it's considered a partial agonist in the low affinity. Um, and there's been conflicting, like some of the some of the research studies have kind of come up with some conflicting things. It's like in some cases, maybe it has a little more affinity. In some cases, it's a little less. Absolutely. So I was watching in, in my research for this, I found some you know, podcast talking on the internet, whatnot. And, and I've heard some people say that, um, you know, CBG is not, not psychoactive. That's not true. That's boldly not right. true. Because even if it doesn't interact with, with um, the CB1 and CB2 receptors strongly, right. we have very good evidence to suggest that it interacts very strongly with the receptor in our brains known as the alpha-2 receptor or the yes. adrenergic. So like, keep following me. Adrenergic means adrenaline-based system. What's the adrenaline-based system? It's that fight-or-flight system, baby. It's that, it's that uh, sympathetic uh, tone. So all of these words for the system that fuels our adrenaline, which has a lot to do with our anxiety, our stress level, our blood yeah. pressure, our heart rate. And, and you can kind of think what adrenaline you know, might feel like when you're fighting with your partner yeah. or you're in the middle of a physical fight or a boxing match or your team's on the edge of losing by mountain lion that, that fluttery sense right so we know that the endocannabinoid <clears throat> system is inherently attached to this system although not directly we don't normally think of it directly but interestingly when we look at cbg's activity we see a potent activation of the alpha 2 receptor so this is one of at least five or ten receptors in this fight or flight system but this one alpha 2 receptor has a really important role Normally, when we think of activating the fight or flight system, we think of mm -hmm. that increased energy, but the alpha two isn't actually a fight or flight receptor. It's a, uh, just like the endocannabinoid system, it's a feedback receptor. Yeah. So the alpha two is actually located on the presynaptic, no, postsynaptic, no, ah, presynaptic terminal. Pre when it yeah. overflows, when we get too much excitement and our, and our neurotransmitters overflow, we get this, this feedback mechanism that says, okay, hold up, do less fight or flight, do more rest and digest. So by activating the alpha-2 receptor, we're able to induce a state of anti-fight or flight, right? That's what I'm trying to uh, yeah. get across. So CBG is commonly touted as helpful for anxiety and helpful for stress and helpful for uh, a lot of the things that we, we do every day uh, or deal with every day as Americans anyway. Mm -hmm. That could be the- I answer. can say, I, I can say from personal experience, um, I had a bit of a hypertensive situation um, 
it's at the end of last year sometime. Um, I'm trying to remember. I was I was teaching my last class when this was going on, so it was middle of last year, I guess. And um, I went to the to an urgent care clinic, and they took my blood pressure, and it was just shy of being considered like officially hypertensive, go to the ER, you know, sort of level. So they were okay. treating it there, and. Um, I was put on a program to monitor my blood pressure for a while for like two or three weeks. Makes sense. Um, multiple times a day, you know, and, and keep the chart and all that sort of stuff. And, and this was right after I'd had COVID. So my, I don't know, I just had a lot of things that were all sorts of messed up and yeah. I normally have low blood pressure. So having high blood pressure was super weird for me. Um, and I did some experimentation with CBG um, from understanding some of the stuff on uh, about the adrenergic receptors because CBG you know, while there's a lot of questions about dosing and stuff with CBD, these effects we're talking about have been identified at nanomolar concentrations, which can actually represent real life. Um, and so, uh, you know, that right away is, is very um, kind of exciting and interesting. So I was like, I'll be the guinea pig. I'll play with it. So when I was having another um, episode where my blood pressure was spiking really, really high, um, I, I did that. I took a, a personalized dose of CBG, um, waited uh, just a, you know enough time to get a sense that it's you know hopefully starting to get processed in the body and everything, and then kept taking my blood pressure over time. And I actually saw it go down in response to um, that administration compared to if I you know other times when I would sit there and monitor it and not do anything or walk around or whatever. And so just in of one, my anecdote. Um, it seemed to have significant cardiovascular effects that I have not seen personally with CBD. Um, and uh, that's something that I've, I've taken kind of seriously now since that's an issue I deal with. It, really interesting, Jason. I, I didn't uh, know. What you're describing isn't that, isn't that abnormal, people having dysregulation or auto dysautoregulation mm -hmm. post-COVID. Uh, you know, this system was really wreaked havoc on a lot of those those pressure receptors and, and was stressful on the body, especially if you had a, a tough go at it. Um, with respect to cannabigerol, it makes sense that this could have an effect on blood pressure. Alpha-2 agonism, which is the mechanism you described, mm -hmm. at nanomolar concentrations, which is what we just described, is about what we see with a drug called clonidine. And clonidine yeah, is a prescription yeah. FDA approved medicine that potently activates the alpha two receptor. And we use it for blood pressure. The medicine is known as catapress. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's also used for interestingly enough, ADHD, um, and, and anxiety. So people who can't fall asleep, people who can't, who can't, um, kind of turn their brain off. We're giving a dose of clonidine at really low doses, a hundred micrograms, 0.1 milligrams for, for an adult would be a starting dose. Um, and, and we see significant effects. I mean, point one, even if clonidine doesn't work quite that potently, I mean, it doesn't take right. very much effort to go up. And we know that it could be pharmacologically active because of what we described. We've also seen that CBG gets into our blood. Um, a recent yeah, study just yeah. reported, you know, uh, showed that for regular marijuana smokers, and I, I know a couple of them, uh, <laughs> um, we, CBG is no an way. indicator of recent use of, of, of cannabis. So if you smoke cannabis every day, you're, you're like, you know, two thirds of us will have CBG in our blood or, or something to that effect, as opposed to, um, 
those who don't, who only smoke infrequently, will only have it there for for a moment. I mis- yeah, misquoted the study there, but it's interesting that they're now trying to use CBG as a biomarker for recent use because the body clears it faster. Right. It doesn't do this extended stay like it does with THC and, and, and some of the CBD metabolites. Yeah, that's super interesting. It'd be interesting to understand that better. And honestly, this is a case of CBD too, understanding the metabolism and elimination so of these compounds. And we still don't know a whole lot, you know, it's, um, and still a lot of assumptions made based on what we know about THC. Um, you know, we tend to say, okay, we know THC and these cannabinoids are similar enough. So it's probably similar, but what we're learning is no, these, each of these, um, particularly when you're looking at like a tricyclic versus a bicyclic and a monocyclic cannabinoid, they are quite different in how the body interacts with them, not just in their receptor targets, but all of those dynamics. It's, it's fascinating. So I think what, what I find most interesting about cannabigerol and this sort of alpha-2 connection is that with a, a tremendous amount of stimulation of the alpha-2 receptor, like we see with the in medicine we use in the, in the um, ICU called dexmedetomidine, mm-hmm. we can actually use dexmedetomidine for sedation while someone's intubated for sedation while someone's just, you know, uh, dealing with a very painful procedure or something like that. But... We can infuse Presidex, this very potent alpha-2 agonist, same thing that, that CBG does, and we can keep them awake without depressing their respiratory drive, or uh, oh. we don't have to be intubated, or if they are intubated, they can be awake and alert as opposed to that. So it's, it suppresses the fight or flight, but it doesn't, let's say, hit the GABA receptor, which is the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the you know, what benzos or barbiturates or a lot of this, this medicines that put us to sleep, anesthetics, hit GABA. That's right. not what happens. And, and we don't see any GABA activity with um, CBG, or not, at least it, not significantly. It could be mm-hmm. secondarily. Um, so that suggests you know, we could probably use it to, to induce a, a large state of um, you know, sort of tranquility or not at larger doses. Yeah, of course, yeah. this hasn't been well studied. Um, but but I think it's a really interesting concept because we see that even with potent alpha stimulation, we don't have a lot of these um, really serious negative side effects. Yeah, <clears throat> an interesting um, sort of uh, common uh, some common feedback I've I've gotten from students when we've talked about CBG is I've had several tell me that. Um, when they take it, they tend to feel more alert, but not stimulated, um, which is a very interesting distinction. They'll say it's not like coffee or anything like that, where they feel like energized. They said it's just more about being more um, present and aware. Um, And I've wondered, um, you know, what might be going on with some of that, because you mentioned um, things like ADHD, anxiety, um, these things where the adrenergic receptors can uh, possibly contribute things that are um, not always so obvious. Um, so it's, you know, I'm just thinking out loud of, of what I've heard about um, people's experiences with that, but that's a common one that I've gotten repeatedly. Um, and I don't know if these are students that have any sort of common thread in terms of uh, you know, other things, 
but I've I, multiple, multiple classes. I've had people say, oh yeah, CBG, I use that um, for work because I can get uh, more into my work and, and focused, but I'm not, I don't get any extra like stimulated energy or anything like that, um, that I would from coffee. And so like, that's fascinating. I personally haven't experienced that, but um, I've definitely experienced the sort of calming effect. Um, but in some people, they experience kind of a, um, not just a calming, but almost a, I don't know, um, more in the moment sort of feeling. Right. So, I mean, let's just think think about it pharmacologically and assume that the primary mechanism is this alpha-2 activation by CBG. And, and we don't Which have there's to There's more just, going on. There, there is. It's, it's complicated, yeah. and I don't want to minimize that. But this is the most attractive. If you look at this, this yeah. molecule from Big Pharma's perspective, this is what we're talking about. In fact, it's so attracted to this receptor that, that, uh, that by the rules that are set forth, they could easily say this is its mechanism of action if it were to be approved right. for that indication. Now, what we're seeing is uh, what you're describing is this, I'm not, I'm not, it's like you're not engaging with the sleepy system, but, but you're preventing this overstimulation. And this makes some sense because you're not activating the, the stimulatory system yourself. You're activating the feedback mm. system to, that, that's going to have this softer, gentler role. When you take coffee, you're, um, you're working on your adenosine receptors and your adenosine receptors mm -hmm. are engaged with the sleep-wake cycles. And your adenosine sort of levels can vary throughout the day. When we talk about fight or flight molecules, specifically epi nor, uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine, they're not highly involved in sleep. There's certainly levels throughout the day, but they're involved in sort of like the not sleep. You know, like this is normally yeah, right. the system that's involved in you staying awake. You, you're wired, so to speak, right? And so when, when again, you're tinkering with that system, you're not necessarily going to see this, this, this drop. Additionally, unlike stimulants like Adderall, um, which cause a stimulation by dumping your neurotransmitters, which are stored in little right. vesicles, little sacs in the, in the brain. And when you use them, you try to capture them back up because it takes a lot of energy and nutrition to make more. And what happens is, is when you dump them all and you just keep dumping them with the stimulant use, you have lower storage, which means you're going to likely deal with more rebound tiredness and things of that nature. Right. But there is very little dumping when it comes to CBG. Although, again, I'm simplifying a complex, uh, of course, yeah. the most complex thing we know of in the in the universe, which is the human brain. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's only a universe inside of a universe. But yeah. no, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's cool. That's that's really good to. Um, you know, to, to highlight all of that, um, that nuance, because it, it is super fascinating. And these effects are not to be taken lightly, like you don't see these effects in CBD and THC or um, that I know of CBC, I don't know if they've looked yet. Um, I haven't you know, seen they haven't done as many binding studies too. with CBC. No. Um, but it is, you know, interesting in that, in that way. And CBG does have this weird ability that it can, um, it has a lot of the same receptor targets as CBD, but because of its kind of floppy nature that it's one ring with these sort of tentacles on either side, it can sort of change its shape and, and interact with a lot of different things depending on its availability. And that's, you know, that's why I always say it's, there's a lot more going on because there's all sorts of things interacting with a lot of things all at once and competing. And it's, 
it's a whole big playground that's <laughs> <laughs> difficult to to follow. But yeah, I think this this adrenergic effect it is um, important to highlight and important for people to pay attention to. I think it's where, you know, just like you said, um, that's where a lot of the product and drug development is going to be around CBG, particularly, I think it's just going to be in um, ways to leverage um, that effect for, for different things, probably primarily for anxiety and blood pressure control um, to start. Cause those are the easy, that's the easy entry, I think. Um do you have any other ideas? So we've talked about, and we need to start wrapping up um, real soon, actually, and I get off in about five minutes, but um, to sort of close some of this out, you know, we've talked about the antimicrobial activity of CBG, its ability to penetrate biofilms and maintain um, your microflora, you know, the microbiome of your, um, of your skin, at least. We've talked about these um, effects on the adrenergic receptor and, um, effects with uh, potential competition effects with degradatory enzymes like FA, FAH. Um, are there any other um, activities of CBG that you think folks should be paying attention to um, as we're starting to learn more? Yeah, so we're really interested to, to see what CBG might be doing at uh like serotonin receptors, which is one interesting. Yeah, it might be blocking yeah. 5-HT1A receptors. There's activity at some TRPs, including TRP, mm -hmm. or sorry, it just switched and combined two pieces of information. So let's back up and start over. I, no, I, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. TRP55 is almost what I just said. <laughs> okay, so. And I would have some... I would have gone right along and been like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Oh, yeah, those receptors. They're probably uh, heterodimerized, Jason. That's for the nerds listening. <laughs> yeah, there you maybe. go. Makes okay. sense of it. Yeah, yeah. Just got your GP. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got some GP, uh, eh, G protein receptors, GPCRs, uh, that could be potentially relevant to a lot of disease processes. And we think that CBG mm -hmm. might have activity at some of them. Getting into the weeds uh, with those probably wouldn't be beneficial. But then right, there's a also, list of numbers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's also transient receptor potential. Uh, ion channels. And this is a fancy word for for tunnels for charged, uh, particularly calciums to move through. And, yeah. and because calcium and, and potassiums are super important to what a neuron is doing, because these are electrically charged cells, yeah. this can have tremendous amount of effect. And, and this could contribute to some of the sort of uh, overall effects we see with CBG for conditions that maybe aren't related to the sympathetic system. Um, CBG has been investigated by GW Pharmaceuticals for inflammatory yep. bowel disease. They found some really good evidence in, in animal trials. Um, they, I think they've had mi more mixed results in what they've tried in humans so far, but they're very interested in taking that molecule to market in whatever country for whatever disease state and then building off of it, just like you said. And the, the potential is like really wide if you start manipulating this molecule, like what we could potentially treat, but you also introduce the potential problems that are usually associated with synthetic drugs. And we need to think right. about that when we go manipulating molecules is this is no longer something that it's just like, oh, to the people, because we don't know mm -hmm. what these molecules might have, what effects they yeah. may have. The endocannabinoid system and the fight or flight system and all these are very important to development and to, to our health. So 
we need to learn more about synthetics. But for right now, I mean, I like CBG. I have a patient who, with the addition of CBG, um, had a year of seizure-free after before that having wow. 10 seizures a day. Started on CBD, had some benefit, added CBG, and they just went away. Um, it's not going to work for everyone. Epilepsy is complex. You're particular oh, yeah. disease state is complex. We, I can't give you the right answer, but there's good reason to believe that this, you, this molecule has a lot of uses and uh, it's, it's relatively safe, but does probably have drug interactions. Um, we need to explore it and our healthcare professionals need to be trained on it and uh, our regulators need to understand it or not write stupid laws around it. Uh, and, and uh, companies need to hire folks like you uh, and, uh, and others like you to, you know, think through this, the way you're approaching this, because we can be mindful around what we're doing and not just throwing a bunch of darts at a board. Yeah, I think that's, that's well said. It is something that's concerned me lately is, um, and we've hinted at, at some of the um, energy around all of this, but the all of the buzz around synthetic cannabinoids and how to handle them in the hemp market, one thing I've run into is there's been such a reaction to want to control those that some legislators are not understanding the consequences of the language they're choosing. And they're very possibly stepping into uh, the realm of regulating a lot more cannabinoids than they're intending to regulate. Um, <laughs> uh, Florida was a good example. They, they made a 180 on that, but Florida was on the route to um, basically making all cannabinoids illegal um, because of just the word, just, just because of the words that they were choosing, like, because instead of talking about synthetic cannabinoids or THC analogs or anything like that, they just said cannabinoids <laughs> and not knowing what that word meant. You know, they, um, they could be banning endocannabinoids too. They're making all of our right, all like, of our existence, <laughs> and and yeah, and it's like okay, so the woolly umbrella is illegal now, and you know, all of these uh, issues. So yeah, it's it's important to uh, pay attention to understand. Um, I, I agree with you. I'm excited about CBG. I think it has a very important role in formulation. I have a salve that I formulated with a friend of mine that leverages CBG. Um, I've been very, very happy with it, um, you know, based off of some of my understandings around things we've talked about today um, and partnering that with other medicinal plants that synergize well with that. So um, for everyone listening, yeah, you know, pay attention to CBG as always. Be careful about the hype and the hyperbole that surrounds any new fad that comes up in the cannabis industry or beyond. But there is reason to believe that CBG... Um, could help a lot of people. Um, and like you said, there may be some folks that have struggled with getting any sort of relief from CBD that may find adding CBG might help, or maybe CBG is a better solution than CBD for their particular situation. Absolutely. Um, a lot of, a lot to explore, a lot we still don't know, but a lot to be excited about. So um, I hope that everyone listening today has gotten at least just enough to get the gears spinning a little bit and to start diving into um, learning more about CBG, um, both the Conigma and Curious About Cannabis, we've made some content about CBG. So there's plenty to dive into there to start to um, get into the science behind some of this stuff and uh, into some of the papers we've referenced. Um, we actually did a pretty good job in this episode of referencing some um, oh, yeah, fairly we did. important paper, papers around there. So proud of us for that. 
Good, yeah, good the pharmacological work, case. I, I don't remember the author, but the pharmacological case for cannabidiol is going to tell you all about what we just spoke yes. around around the pharmacology. It's a great paper. Dustin Sulak recommended it a year or two ago, and I read it. Um, and it came out about two years ago. I think that's great. Yeah, I think still you know, people understanding that this this molecule is new because we finally figured out the cannabis genetics enough to start to identify which plants are not, they're lacking this enzyme. This is, this is a bit yeah. of a freak though. Like this cannabis plant was not commonly around 10 years ago. Uh, you know, it, it, the molecule CBG was everywhere. It's in every cannabis plant, but the genetics yeah. where this, this sort of abnormal plant came about, this is new. And so, you know, you're like, I've never heard of this. Why haven't I heard of it? Well, because it's pretty new. Like you said, you barely, you barely. And even humans had an haven't valued now. it until now. You know, it's right. like oh, you often don't hear about things until humans decide it's valuable enough to talk about, and that's where we're at now. <laughs> and where I'm at is I'm I'm trying to elevate this message to like, look, cannabis and, and phytocannabinoids are amazing. Other plants are using them. This is the language of plants. Yeah. We can use more than one word and get further when we're trying to solve a disease, right? Your terpenoids yes. have their own tune, the cannabinoids in a combination and in ratios. There's all, there's all this tinkering we can do with plant medicine. I know you're passionate about this. And this yeah. is contrary to the way I was trained, but I, I see this opportunity in a non-toxic, hugely mm -hmm. beneficial plant. Everyone you recommend it to, I've never recommended somebody and come back and said this was awful unless they took too much thc this was terrible yeah, yeah. they say oh it didn't work okay exactly. sorry that's a, that's an ideal scenario okay worst case <laughs> scenario it didn't work okay we can live with that let's right. move on we'll try something else yeah we can see if we can um, take your some more you know some people they have really complex diseases and 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 yeah cannabis doesn't offer enough uh, other people i think have really have issues that they're afraid to try cannabis with, but just with a little bit of effort, cannabis could provide yeah. them with a world of benefit. And then there's, there's people who, you know, are somewhere in the middle. We have this really yeah. broad spectrum of humans and cannabinoids. Let's just figure out how we can best use them for ourselves, for our loved ones and, and start there and not worry about, I guess, like, What's the genetic formula for me and this person commercializing it, right? We can individualize yeah, it for now yeah. and wait a hundred years until the, the profiteers figure out the algorithm uh, to, to commercialize it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely know what you mean. It's, I'm seeing more and more of this from a lot of folks that um, were kind of in the legacy days and moved into the regulated markets and are kind of moving out again. And so they're like, ah, to go back into my cave and play and keep doing my thing and let all this stuff that's happening out here you know play its course and i'm just going to keep trying to connect with the plant learn from products i can make learn from people that you know i'm seeing a lot of that a lot of folks that are exiting that have that mentality of like i'm just going to keep doing my thing and let the industry be the industry and um you know, and that's just how it is. Um, and I, you know, I definitely agree with that to a, a large degree. The industry's just gotten so insane. Um, although it has created some delectable memes that are starting to be created and shared, um, <laughs> that I, I've been appreciating. But anyway, I do have to get to wrap up. This has been a great conversation. I mean, beyond CBG, talking about ChatGPT and AI and all that stuff. Uh, it's been really, really fun. Always a pleasure to get to sit down with you and talk and. 
Um, we'll definitely have to follow up soon because I do think we need to talk about synthetic cannabinoids a little more. Um, and uh, there's some other kind of um, exciting things kind of getting into the sort of future of cannabis and cannabis products that I think we could um, really dive into. So we'll have to set up another one soon. So yeah, I can't wait for it. With that. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, go follow Cody, go find the Kenigma. Um, like Cody mentioned, um, we work together through the Kenigma and try to generate um, science-driven uh, content to help people understand um, how to think about a lot of common questions that people have around cannabis. And then, of course, curious about cannabis. If you listen to this, you probably know where to find us, but look for us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn. Uh, is that all of them? All the places. All the places. Curious about cannabis, and you will find us. Uh, so, with that, everybody, stay curious and take it easy. Bye bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.